Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing. That's important. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, and this is the text for us today, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and disciples put their faith in him. Now, if you, how many of you watched Tuesday's Take on our webpage, our Facebook page this week? Did anybody watch it? Do you know the song that we sang? How many of you grew up in Sunday school? Okay, you're going to know this song. In fact, one lady in our church, Jerry, she, kept, she called Glenn and said, I can't get that song out of my head now after listening to... I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got no happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus. Let's do that song again. You're going to be singing that song all week now. Won't get it out of your head. That's what we're talking about today. We just read about Jesus' first miracle, turning the water into wine. And I want to focus on that verse again. Oops, that's the wrong one. I must have left it out. I make mistakes. Do you know that? (laughs) Have you learned that yet about me? It says this. This miraculous sign at Cana. Oh, there it is. In Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and disciples believed in him. How important is that Jesus begins his ministry revealing himself, showing who he is, what he's capable of, and we're going to learn why he did this. And the disciples believed him. And we still need to be part of that work today where Jesus is revealed, he's lifted up, he's pointed to, we pray to, we listen to, we worship, we give thanks to, and he's revealed to the world and to our families and our communities who he is, and people come to believe in him. Amen. 
Because he alone saves. Did you know that? In John's writing, he would often use in the Gospel of John the word sign. And, and, and that's because signs in your notes give you more information about what lies ahead. Right? A sign reveals something. It, it points to something coming. For example, if you're driving down the road and you come against this <laughs> sign, <laughs> let me tell you, you've got a few seconds to make a decision. I would say take heed, my friend. <laughs> To the sign. I found some other signs. These are actual road signs. I mean, I haven't. Uh, how about this one? You can you see that? <laughs> Invincible moose, next five kilometers. <laughs> You're not going to win this fight, they're trying to tell you. Don't try. Be aware of that. Uh, I found this one. <laughs> I mean, when you come up against that, you're going to stop and go, do I really want to go? <laughs> do I really want to go further around all that? I think my favorite one is this. I, I don't know where this sign would be, but caution, falling cows. <laughs> I mean, you're driving along and boom. <laughs> oh, no, not another cow fell down on the cliff. <laughs> but I guess it happens. <laughs> Maybe in Huron County, I don't know. <laughs> The miracles that Jesus performed, all those miracles actually, were a sign to point us to something that, that gives us, reveals information about who Jesus is and what he wants to do. And to better understand what Jesus is wanting us to grasp in this very first miracle, we need to understand the role that the water played and the wine played. So we're going to talk first about the water. The water was present because religious law said it had to be there. Remember it said about ceremonial washing. The Bible says there were six jars of water at the wedding, each holding about oh, 180 gallons. And the water was there because religious law and tradition said, you've got to have these here. If you have people coming together and eat, you have to have this here. The law said the water had to be there so people could do religious hand washing according to ceremonial law. You were symbolically unclean because you touched things in your life. And so symbolically you had to clean and wash your hands before you eat. Some, you know, even between courses and after courses and before courses. And before eating they'd pour water over their hands and cleanse themselves of any bad influence associated with them when they, what they have touched. So I'm gonna, what I want to do is just kind of show you what this looks like. This is the tutorial for children who want to learn in the Jewish custom how to wash their hands. So we put that up, Roman. Just watch this. I want you to get a better understanding of what was required of people when they needed, before they could eat bread, this is what they'd have to do. What would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10%? There would be an additional $165 billion. Well, that's, that's a good one. That's one from Money Plan. <laughs> is it called ceremonial hand washing? Is it on there? That's the one Derek wants to show. Remember that? Who is Derek? Remember? You ever? That's fine. Here's how to wash your hands before eating bread. First, fill a large cup with water. Remove any rings from your fingers. Raise the cup with your right hand, then pass it to your left hand. Now pour water two times over your right hand, twice in succession. Make sure to wash your entire hand up to the wrist. Now pass the cup to your right hand. 
and pour water two times over your left hand, twice in succession. Now raise your hands so that the water drips toward the wrist and recite the blessing. Baruch ato Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidishanu b'mitzvosav v'tzivanu al netilas yadayim. Then dry your hands on a towel. Now you're ready to say the blessing over the bread and eat, but be careful not to talk until you've done so. As you recite the blessing, hold the bread with all ten fingers and lift it slightly. Baruch ato Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. And now it's bon appetit. So I, I figured out a way how I can lose weight. Because if I became a uh, you know, Jew I, in the middle of the night when I want a snack, I'm going down the kitchen going, it's not worth it. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you had to go through all the, and in between courses, and all, when you come back from cemeteries, when you wake up, when you, all these rules and ceremonial washings that a person would have to do. So um, any uh, time there was food, the host had to make sure there was enough water that all their guests, so, so a large gathering like a wedding, could participate and satisfy the religious regulations that were required. They had, you know, hand washing is this outward act of a person who would perform to symbolize, you know, what should be found in their life. That you were to be pure and clean and right before God. It was a religious ritual which should reflect the condition of the person's heart. But the problem was it was just an outward act and had no power in itself. And just because you did it outwardly means that what's actually happening in your life was maybe not following suit. And we'd still do that today. Outwardly, we can read the Bible, we can go to church, we can help. And outwardly, it seems like we're pure and we're, we're doing really well. But inside, we're struggling. And God knows that and wants to work in that part of our life, the inward part. And remember how Jesus, he would criticize religious leaders for this very thing. He says, what sorrow awaits, not joy, that's what we're talking about today, not joy, but what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but you are, in, you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash inside of the cup and the dish, talking about our lives and then the outside will become clean too. He goes on and says, What sorrow awaits, not joy, but what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sort of impurity. And so the water was there at the wedding because religious law and tradition said it had to be there. There was no life in this act of cleansing. There's no joy. It was just regulations. It was ritual. It was ceremonial. You did it because you wanted to appear right before God. And so you went through the motions. The problem is when the motions and traditions and the ways uh, that you know, we've always done things are more important when, than the way that God wants to do things, there's trouble. We get so stuck on, but this is what we do. This is always I've done. You know, I just thought of this story. I know, Pastor, you're going to know this story. because It's a popular story that, that uh, pastors tell. Uh, how does it go? The, um, a lady wants to cook a ham. Do you know this one? 
And she cuts the end off the ham, right? And puts it in the pot. And one day her children ask, why do you cut the end off the ham? Well, that's the way that grandma taught me how to do it. So they went and asked grandma, why do you cut the end off the ham before you put it in the pot? Well, she said, because the roasting pan was too small. <laughs> no one ever thought to ask, why do we do this thing? We've always done it this way. And there's a reason. But maybe there's, there's more ham to be had. <laughs> if we were willing to change. I wonder if we recognize when, and even in our lives, in our church, when there's traditions or customs are distracting us from what Jesus wants to do among us. And it's important to talk about because, you know, if we're honest, I, and I would tell you, if I was honest, when, when I'm fulfilling my want can be, can be more important than what God wants in my life and my church, that's a danger. When I come and say, God, this is what I want, and God says, well, are you willing to think bigger? Are you willing to hear what I would have to say and what I want to do in your life? And you say, yeah, but no, you got to do it this way. That's, that's going to be problematic. <clears throat> what the water represents and what Jesus is trying to say when he turned the water into wine is the water represented empty, lifeless religious practices. So what did he do? He turned the water into wine. And the wine represented joy. Back in the culture of Jesus' day, wine was symbolic of joy. The rabbis would say, without wine, there's no joy. And so it was essential that wine be present at the wedding because this was a joyous, happy time. And when the, ran, the wine ran out, that meant the joy had ran out. What a terrible thing to happen. What an embarrassing thing it would be to symbolically say that the joy has left our time of, of gathering, of wedding. Imagine inviting your friends and your family to a wedding reception. Beautifully decorated. The plates are out on the table. The food is, you know, you're ready to eat, you're hungry, and you find out there's no food. That's what it would be like. No food to be, to remain empty and unfilled. You're promised something, but you receive nothing. It would be embarrassing. I know what that's like. Uh, at our wedding, we were married at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And our families made all this food and put it in the church kitchen and labeled it royal. You know, I, and only problem at 11 o'clock, there was a funeral in that church. <laughs> They ate all our food. <laughs> and I guess our mothers are out there <laughs> making bologna sandwiches really quick. <laughs> I didn't know that till after I was, I was the wedding, thank goodness. But when, the, when, the, when it runs out, it's like, joy is not to run out. Um, I was at the wedding yesterday. I was doing a great wedding yesterday. We had good food. And I was talking with Stephen Cora, but we spoke about how the... Um, we notice how people in, in, in this world can, can have this emptiness and this lack of joy and encounter the world because they don't have Jesus. And I think we forget sometimes life is stressful. We live in a broken world, but we don't realize how much worse it would be without the Lord. We, don't, we forget that. I think you know, we should just wake up and realize, you know, there are people out there who are just hopeless, trying to fill their life, attach things to their life, the hope that this will bring me joy and it's not working. And the answer is Jesus, that they won't humble themselves before the Lord and follow him. We shouldn't encounter that problem. 
in the church, should we? We serve a God who provides us with the answer about how we can find and restore joy in our life. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus, you know, he spoke in many places. And John 15 is one of them where he talked about how he loves us. And, and if we would remain in him and him and us, that we would find this abundant life so much. And he says this, he says in John 15, verse 11, I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will be overflow. And then two chapters later, in case we forget, he's praying to God the Father. It says, now I'm coming you, God the Father. I told them, you and I, these many things while I was with them in the world, so they will be filled with what? My joy. That's his purpose. That's his mission. That's the consequent and result that we can have. And you notice Jesus talks about my joy. Not the joy of the things that we try to find in places, but this is the joy that he gives, that he alone can give. It's my joy that will cause you to overflow with joy. We keep you know, trying to you know, apply outward solutions to this inward problem in our life. But what we need, where we need to begin is really a matter of the heart. The heart is my passion, is my desire, is my want, is what I crave for. I love you with all my heart. I put my heart into this. And Jesus says, when you know, we start you know, filling him, our heart with him, the joy will overflow. The problem is we think, no, it's got to be this thing and this thing and this thing. And they don't stick or they're very temporary and they fail. The world is full of people with emptiness, lifeless Practices, and maybe even religious practices, because not Jesus in them. Jeez. It's outward, but Jesus wants to talk about inward. So um, the wine represented joy. Money cannot be affixed to an inward heart issue of despair. If you're feeling empty, sex cannot be fixed to an inward heart of despair. Drugs cannot fix. An inward heart of despair. Going on vacation cannot fix an inward heart of despair. Religious traditions and religion and rituals empty in themselves cannot fix this empty heart. You're just kind of going through the motions, but God is not in them. It's outwardly, it's not saying Jesus first, fill my heart, change my heart. God knows joy is an inside job. And none of the things that we seek on the outside to apply are not effective because they don't change us. Only Christ. That's why he had to come. Who can come and does and wants to change us on the inside. So how would I do that, Jesus? How can I come to you and just very simply and just beginning to work, have you work in my life, you know, where the mundane emptiness of everyday life in a broken world to where I can find this joy of overflowing. Well, I love, I love how the message says, says Romans one and two. This is what the Bible says. So here is what I want you to do. God helping you. So there's something you need to do and God's going to help you with this. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so self-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. 
That's why so many times we talk about life groups or church renewal or, or daily walk with God, spending time with him. Because if you, with God's help, if you would embrace him and listen to him and, and apply him and, and hear from him, he will change you how from the inside out. The verse says, readily recognize. Did I miss that one? Okay, maybe I missed that one too. That's two mistakes today. But readily recognize he, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, it says. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best of, out of you, develop well-formed, develops well-formed maturity in you. So God wants to bring the best out of you. But you've got to be willing to say, God, here I am. Work in me, fill me. I could preach a whole series on that. That's so good. Behaving religiously can mean, you know, I can read my Bible. I can pray to God, come to church every week. But embracing the word of God, embracing prayer, embracing worship in the work of church means this. I refuse to keep reading my Bible and remain unchanged. I just don't kind of go, okay, done. No, God changed me on the inside. I refuse to daily talk to God and listen to him in prayer and remain unchanged. I just said, God, help this, bless this, and walk away. No, God, listen. I'm listening. I want to talk to you. I've set this time aside for you. Change me on the inside. I refuse to come to church after church every Sunday, listening to a message, or, and remained unchanged. When God says you need to change. I want to do a work in you. There's joy I want to fill out of your heart. If you would just surrender and empty and soften that heart and let me come in and work the way that my word is speaking to you. To be holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. I know we get all these images of holiness, what that is, but it's just being set apart for God's purposes. And, you know, you don't do, you don't read the Bible and you pray and, and go to church, all these things to appear holy before others like the Pharisees did. You do them and apply them in your life so you can be holy before God. I'm set apart for you. Because, you know, we can try to impress people and talk the talk. And someday when we're staying for God in judgment, it's going to come out if we, if we didn't walk the walk. When we don't have God changing and working in our hearts and filling us with the Holy Spirit, living in us and living through us, we become like those vessels of water. That's what Jesus is saying. We, you know, instead of celebration, there's an emptiness, there's a blah. We're present, but we're merely tradition and ritual and rules. When Jesus says, I want to give you the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Uh, The bait of Satan, we're doing that because we know the enemy knows us very well. And he knows that you will become bitter when you're offended. You may not even realize it, but you're offended and you're bitter because you said you're going to come to them before someday and you go, well, because of that church or that pastor or that person or that. And God say, what does that have to do with you and me? Why are you letting them destroy this? So sign up. I did. One of the hardest things I ever did. Took some of that, but read that. And we're going to look at that because this church is worth it. Your life is worth it. The lives of others that we're trying to reach is worth us dealing with offense in our life. So this is what we learned today. The water at the wedding was there. 
because religion said it had to be there. People had to wash their hands. Not very exciting. The water is bland. They had plenty of it on hand. No problem running out of water at the wedding. On the other hand, the wine, which represents joy, ran out, ran out. The wedding was the picture of the current religious culture of the day. They had plenty of tradition, plenty of rituals, plenty of rules, plenty of outwardly appearing like I'm okay. And they were burdensome, but they had no joy. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you because this is where you're living and the blah and the mundane and the water of your life. When I've come to give you joy, turn your blah and mundane ceremonies and religion and empty practice into the joy of the Lord. And this is, can be the picture of our lives today, the church today. We must make it personal, not just look back and say, oh, those guys, how, how could they? They don't have the joy of the Lord. <coughs> but maybe we don't. And we need Jesus to come before a miracle in our life and in our church by turning the water into wine. We're going to pray for that. We had our first prayer start this morning. Good group of people turning out. We're just starting to learn together, whether we're seasoned or not seasoned, and we're going to learn and come together and pray for renewal in the lives of our people and the pastor and the church and the community and the country. We're going to say, God, I'm embracing you. Not just putting in my little, I'm going to embrace you and hear from you. We need authentic joy. The joy of the Lord in our life. I don't want to be the one who withholds it from the church. Our scripture said today, this miraculous sign at Canaan Galilee. And the sign was pointing to this. Whoops, that, what happened there? I hit the wrong button again. Mistakes, mistakes. You just turn it off. Just turn it off, Roman. <laughs> Jesus takes the water of regulations and rituals and turns it into something joyful. That's what he's doing. Why? I always thought, why would you do this? Like, I mean, raising from somebody from the dead, that would get people's attention. Curing from leprosy and blind people can see and deaf people can hear. That would get people's attention. What does water and the wine have to do? This. I want you to know that I'm here to change lives from emptiness to joy, from water into wine. That is his purpose. The Bible says, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys who take refuge in him. Uh, I'm going to put it back up. So I think I know where it is. Well, maybe not. We'll find out how I'm in. <laughs> I get going. But churches around North America have benefited a lot by a lot of people who take church seriously. One of them is a fellow by the name of Tom Rainier. I like Tom Rainier because he's a researcher. He writes a book. He doesn't start off with a premise and say, now I'm going to go try to support my premise. He sends out teams and research people and statistics and he goes to churches and says, finds out what's working in growing churches, what's not, why churches aren't growing, aren't working. And, and, he, and he, then he responds to that and writes. One of the books he wrote is called um, 
breakout churches where he and his team went to the most effective evangelical churches in North America and compared them with churches who were struggling to break out. And he said, what's the difference? What is the difference? What is, what's going on? Can there's something I can put my finger on? And it's very insightful reading. But in his research, one of the things his team discovered was about breakout churches was this. I'll see if I can find myself on here. Ah, okay, that's, that's good. That's getting close. There it is. A consistent observation noted by the research team was the obvious joy present both staff and laity in the breakout churches. I wouldn't have thought that. I would thought that maybe it was a program or something they were doing, but no, it goes, people that go to that church, the the staff and the people have this joy of the Lord because Jesus is living in them and using them. And one of the researchers commented, he said this, these people just seem to have fun. And Rainer makes it clear, it isn't that growing churches are not taking the ministry seriously. They are and they do. But you can have joy and fun and be still very serious about the task that we have at hand as a church. In fact, he wrote, he said, the leaders in breakout churches, those churches are making a difference. Lives are being changed. Could be described as being passionately serious about the work to which God had called them. They just discovered how ministry was a joy. And even be fun when you come to understand what you are supposed to do and why you're doing it. See, that's the water is, oh, I know I should be doing this, and I'm really a Christian, and I should be doing something to church, so I'll do it. The joy is, man, this is changing people's lives, and I know that I'm gifted to do this and called to do this, and I want to do this, and I see results because of it. There's a difference between the water and the wine. Jesus being a part of it and Jesus not being a part of it. Going through the motions and Jesus working through you. He writes, purpose in their lives and ministries engendered joy, fun, and laughter. And Rainer calls this structure a culture of serious fun. I love to be part of that. It's serious fun. What we do matters more than anything else, but we can have fun doing it. That's possible. So if you're serious and passionate about the mission of the church and you have joy for it, you have fun doing it, Rainer makes this comment how serious fun is just part of what's happening in churches that are breaking out. And I believe Christians, I believe the church should have the most joyous people on earth, don't you? Amen. The miraculous sign at Cana of Galilee was so important because Jesus is saying, this is who I am. Joy. Fulfillment. Amen. And the result was, disciples believed in him. If we had the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, in a broken world, that we have a peace even though the world's broken, and we were some, if we have that joy and people sense it, people will believe in him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for uh, giving us this scripture today and making your first miracle, one that maybe makes us wonder, but we look into it and see why and what you're about. And God, save us from being empty and, and ritual and empty, God, and just doing things on the outward and not really applying you into our lives. That we, I pray that we would do that as a church, that lives will be changed because of that, because we sense the purpose and that we'll have passion. We understand why we're doing this. It's because you've called us to a mission. That we'd be willing to change where we need to change. We'd, we'd be willing to listen to you, God, and have you be the leader in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at the gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.